This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the High Hopes Podcast. I hope. It's a bunch of baseball nerds talking about the Philadelphia Phillies on Radio.com and Sports Radio 94 WIP. Yo, it is another edition of the High Hopes Podcast recording on a Saturday morning, Jack. It's early. It's early, and it's Saturday. But why are we here, Jack? Why are we here? Uh, because the Phillies have a scouting director. Uh, they have a leader. They have uh, a new draft class that is very, very exciting. Um, so, listen, we're going to make it happen because we have to talk about this. And it's just like, since the draft has ended, I don't know why, but I've just slept so well. Um, and I think it's because every night that I let my, my head hit the pillow, I know that the Phillies are in good hands for the rest of my life. Yes, Brian Barber is never leaving. Um, And everything's great. Everything is great in Jack's world. Everything's great in James' world. I mean, James, like, you were even breaking down Casey Martin on the air the other day. I was was happy. I was like, wow. He's he's really developing into where I need him to be at for this podcast to to fully thrive. Yeah. Draft guy. Um, all right, well, let's dive in. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't care at all what I have to say, but care a lot about what you have to say about this. So let's well, that's not true. Well, you gave you gave very detailed. You, you you had your best performance on a podcast ever <laughs> with Keith Law, and you know, and you didn't have as good a performance. Keith Law himself, who saw that coming? Uh, Keith Law was. Pretty sure they weren't taking a high school pitcher in the first round. Whoops. Let me just say something. Uh, real shame to see that. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was strong in his they're not taking a high school pitcher. Like aggressively strong. Um, we haven't like had a... I kind guess, of slightly rude to you in doing so. I was like, hey, man, I just think Nick Bitsko's good. Um, also, he's like, I like it, Nick Bitsko. And he's like, you're a moron, you idiot. How could you ever think that? Yeah, well, I do feel I do feel great that Bitsko's going to uh, the Rays. Hall of Fame, lock it in. Your Hall yeah. of Fame prediction got a big bump when the Rays drafted him. There's just no, There's going to be nothing more classic than him turning into, like, a superstar for the Rays. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just – like, they, he's going to be – all right, like they have Blake Snell there right now, but he's fine. Uh, they'll eventually just trade him away and <laughs> for nothing because they can't afford him. Like, uh, he's Bitsko, risking his life, bro. Oh, uh, bro, I'm risking my life. Um, but but this is not the Nick Bitsko podcast. This is the Mick freaking Abel podcast, James Seltzer. <laughs> All right, talk to me about Mick because 
Um, it's not something we talked about much prior. I think you had said to me um, that you didn't think he would be there at 14. Uh, the fact that the Phillies took a high school pitcher, big arm, all that stuff, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, for as excited as I am about uh, Mick Bitsko, or <laughs> sorry, Mick Abel. <laughs> He's raining it in. It's a Saturday morning podcast. Uh, I have only had a half a cup of coffee. Um, so for as excited as I am about McCabe, just the fact that the Phillies had the stones to make that pick, I think, is massive. Um, you know, because the last couple of years, ever since really Moniac and <laughs> Cornelius Randolph before him, um, it's been a lot of, oh, you know, I just want to take the safe college bet that can make its way to the major leagues as fast as possible and uh and just kind of take a chance on a high floor guy and when you're i guess when you're trying to compete uh and trying to to make the have the quickest turnaround in major league baseball history <laughs> i guess it's fine i guess it's fine to to kind of go that route but i think when you're the when you're the phillies right now and you see where you're at and you see that you need some high-level talent in your farm system if you're going to make the Bryce Harper, uh, JT Realmuto, hopefully, contract worth it is that you need to kind of take a shot on some guys that have really, really high upside. Um, and Mick Abel is just that. And, yeah, I didn't talk about him leading up to the leading up to the, the podcast because, honestly, he hadn't been connected to the Phillies at all. And it's, uh, I mean, good job by them that that didn't leak out at all. But he wasn't connected to them at all. And I honestly... I thought Mick Abel was a top 10 pick, and people, a lot of people have asked me, who do you like more, Bitsko or Mick Abel? And I like, I like Bitsko a little bit more just because I trust his body. Um, like 6'4", like he's, he's shredded for, for 6'4", 220, and 17 years old. Like he, he, I, I don't have the same, I guess, arm concerns I would have about, about Mick Abel. Like Abel is, is lanky. Uh, the, ball, like, the ball explodes out of his hands. Um, but he's, he's lanky and, and generally until those guys put on muscle, like it can be, uh, a little bit dangerous when you're talking about projecting those guys. So, uh, it was more like a one, a one B for me, but just in watching, in watching McAble and, and now kind of taking a step back and realizing he's the guy and kind of doing some deep dives. Like I was always impressed with the fastball, just because of uh, yes, I watched the perfect uh, perfect game, All American Classic, and the fastball just jumped out to me. Now he did have command issues in that game, but that's more I think jitters than anything. I and mean, he was he was the starting pitcher, first one out there, uh, playing against the best high school players in the country at Petco Park in a major league stadium. Like you're going to be a little bit jacked up for that. I don't care. I don't care if you're as mature as McAble is like, you're going to be nervous. Um, so he's a little bit jacked up for that start, but I was just impressed with the, with the fastball command and the fastball, uh, diving all over the place. It kind of seemed like, but then I really started diving into the slider and he said, I guess he can throw two types of it, two different versions of it. Um, and, uh, like it's like, it's already spinning at elite spin rates. And the thing I love the most of what I've read is that he's all in on the analytics and the Rapsodo stuff and uh, just trying to figure out how to get the most spin out of these pitches. And the fact that I think, I think his slider can already play in, in minor league baseball, and I think it's only going to get sharper. Like, we're going to see a pitch in a couple of years that, like, we're going to be talking about 
we're going to tell our grandkids about. We're going to tell <laughs> we're going to tell our grandkids about Nick Gable's slider. Like it's only cuz it cuz it's already disgusting. Like the, his slider is already disgusting. And the fact that he's going to work with the Rapsodo, he's going to get the spin efficiency up. Uh the fact that he knows he, he said he can throw it in any count, which is like like that it, reading the first couple of Mick Abel's stories, it feels like Hamels when they drafted him. Because if you remember, well, obviously I was like 10 when they drafted Hamels, but in reading some books about when they drafted him, the thing they love the most is that he could throw a changeup in any count whenever he wanted. And that's how Mick Abel talks about his slider. So uh, I, I am I am very, very in on, on Mick Abel for sure. Yeah, and look, for what it's worth, it seems like he was the top prep arm for most people in the draft. I know he had bits go slightly ahead, but a lot of people thought Mick Abel the top prep arm in the draft. Um, it seems like he's very advanced for his age, for an 18-year-old to, as you talked about, have a, a legitimate sire. It seems like he's got, what, four pitches already and has command, it seems, over them. Um, it just seems like he's very advanced for his age. But on a basic level, to, to the original thing you said, look, this franchise, if you could have said, all right, what is the number one thing the Phillies need in this franchise, in this organization? It's a young, big arm with ace-level upside. Like, that's what they needed the most, and that's exactly what this kid is. And I think with the 15th pick in the draft, in a weird draft, in a weird year, I think that's the perfect time to take a shot on someone who whose upside is just higher than a lot of other guys in the draft. I mean, when you're watching the draft and then the, the aftermath of it, and the three comps that you continue to hear are Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg, and Jack freaking Flaherty, I'm going to get pretty hyped about that, Jack. I'm sorry. I'm going to let myself get excited when those are the three comps I see with this kid coming from everywhere. Yeah, now we're we're not going to acknowledge uh, Al Leiter's comparison to Rick Porcello um, because I know I, that never happened. That that I think you might have dreamt that that probably didn't happen. Yeah. Well, and I also think I dreamt that he won a Cy Young because he's freaking terrible, and I hate <laughs> Rick Porcello. Like I just say, I hate Rick Porcello. Um, but uh, I don't see. I don't see the Flaherty thing. I mean, I guess if we're just talking straight stuff, he could be Flaherty esque. Um, but I, I, I don't personally see a, a comp to, to Flaherty. Uh, Verlander's a lot. I mean, like, like, like that's just a lot. Um, my comp to him, my comp to him was Mark Pryor, and I know like that kind of sends a chill down everyone's spine. Um, but like Mark Pryor when he was healthy was disgusting. Um, oh, so he's one of the best pros- pitching prospects in the history of baseball. Yeah, and, and super clean mechanics, and unfortunately he got hurt. But uh, just raw stuff-wise, like I think his, his, his two-seamer sinker moves like his used to. His slider is a lot like his. Um, but, yeah, and I think the the one thing I really like about just looking at his mechanics and, and whatnot. Now, he's he has two things mechanically that he's going to have to fix. And I'm, I'm sure, like, once he gets around major league pitching coaches. So, like, he cuts himself off a lot. Um, so he has not very like straight linear down the mound and when you cut yourself off it does lead to putting a lot more stress on your arm um and could lead to some arm issues so he does cut himself off a little bit and and like and and it's a violent delivery too it seems like it definitely looks you worry about the elbow when you watch the delivery yeah i mean mean, it's violent but it's 
like it's an f but it's it's weird because it's violent but it's also an effortless 95 you know what i mean which yeah. is which is great to have which is great to have so uh i think he has to work on not cutting himself off and just letting his his arm fly um and the other thing is that i think there's legitimate growth potential for a changeup. Um, now, most high school pitchers don't have a changeup because, honestly, if you're throwing 95 against high school hitters, like they're not going to touch you. Um, and if you have a slider as good as his to, to couple that with, like you're just you're going to be disgusting in high school, especially when you're pitching in Oregon. I mean, it's not exactly a baseball hotbed. Sorry, L.A. Um, but you don't really need a changeup. But if you look at his mechanics, there's, there's a, a ton of potential there for a really, really solid changeup. Like, like his his arm angle is very similar to Luis Castillo's, and like his changeup is obviously otherworldly. But it, they they come out uh, they come out with the same kind of arm angle. That's why that's why I find it hard to believe like Pavetta will ever learn a changeup because his arm angle doesn't really like lend itself to being able to to develop a changeup. Like Kurt Schilling never could throw a changeup, so he decided to split it. Like same thing with with Halliday. Like they're both straight over the top. Abel comes off a little bit from the side. So like I just I, I as the first thing I would work on with him is 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 getting a legitimate changeup because I think once he gets a feel for that, and given his advanced approach already at 18 years old, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. But uh, one of the things that has me excited about him is is definitely that the, the change-up is something that he could develop into, I would say. Yeah, again, I think the fact that how advanced his arsenal is, especially like you said, is someone who probably didn't need that advanced uh, an arsenal outside of that 95 mile per hour fastball in high school is, is impressive to see. I think that's a real positive. We've heard a lot about his makeup and his attitude and all that. And I think that plays into that. And obviously that's important coming to Philly. Um, yeah, I look, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier with this pick. It was not someone I expected them to pick, but it's a, it's a big swing with the 14th pick in the draft. They have a chance to end up with the best guy in the draft. You know, he's that type of guy where, you know, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing ever if he if he lives up to these comps. He's going to be the best player in this draft. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's exciting, Jack. I think that's exciting. Well, and uh, a couple other things that are are cool is uh, his dad's six five two seventy, which Ooh, so he, so it's like a natural thing a little bit. Right, right, right. So uh, what a lot of these scouts look for, um, and it's funny because I remember going through this like very like. Definitely not in the same category as Mick Abel, but I remember like coaches like looking at my parents and the fact <laughs> and the fact that I was taller than them. Uh, like I was tall. I've been taller than my dad since I was like thirteen, so <laughs> I was pretty much maxed out when I was entering yeah, into for sure. entering into college. But it's it's a legitimate thing. Like like these coaches and scouts look at the parents because those are what the players are going to hopefully grow into. And the fact that his dad's that big. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is, is pretty big for, for mixed growth. Well, that's so. the point at 18. I mean, throwing what 95 to 97, all this stuff, he's still not in his adult body yet. Like he's still going to grow, whether it's height or, or size or whatever, like you're not fully grown at 18. So there's still potentially more upside in this guy's body, which is crazy to think about. Because he's really far advanced at 18. Yeah, and I just think that, I think in any other draft, he's a top 10 pick. And I think that 
I think that given the circumstances, given the fact that he didn't throw one high school pitch this year, given the fact that the last time these scouts saw him, it was the end of the summer. They were at Petco Park. He was jacked up. Um, um, he didn't. He, it wasn't like a dominant inning. Uh, so I, I just think that in. I think that if he had gotten on the mound and replicated what he did in his junior season, which was uh, a 1.26 ERA, uh, 119 strikeouts in 74 innings. And by the way, like 74 innings for a high school kid's a lot. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I think I'd I pitch. mean, like, can we just say that, like, can we put a, a, a general PSA out there to all of Phillies Nation to not freak out when this guy has Tommy John surgery? Because, <laughs> you know, like most of them do along the way. So there's a real chance that at some point he'll have to have Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I would like to say two things to Phillies fans because they've been in my mentions. And boy, do I just love when I get... <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than when I see... Phillies mentions um, two things. He's probably going to have some kind of arm injury, and that's fine. I mean, Nola had arm injuries, and he turned out to be fine. So um, many do. So many do. <laughs> and, and for the love of God, can we just stop with the Jesse Biddle thing and the whole, well, high school pitchers, like, never. Like, dude, I get it, man. Like, high school pitchers are a risky bet. But Jesus Christ, like there's good high school pitchers in every single freaking draft. Can we just be happy that maybe the Phillies got the one? Like, why is it always got to be the, well, like, I don't know if you know this, but uh, they get hurt a lot and you don't know how they're going to project. It's like, yeah, I know, man. Yeah, no bleep. We get it. But but yeah. I think it's I think it's important that they took the chance and Hey, guess what? Same thing happens with college pitchers too, just at a slightly lower rate. Every single pitcher <laughs> ever, except for me. I never had arm issues. So yeah. I mean I would have been a I would have been a good bet if the Phillies were looking for a pitcher back in well, the day. And, and again, back to this point, I mean before, but it's true, is like I get look, I'm you know, you you know me. I'm generally I like to draft hitting more than pitching in general. I just feel like it's more projectable, easier to project down the road and and sign my pitchers, whatever. But, um, again, like, unless you take a, a swing, a risk like this, you don't have a chance to get the best or one of the best players in the draft with the 14th pick. That's it. Like, this is the only guy they could have taken in that spot. I mean, obviously, look, we, Mike Trout was, what, 23rd and ended up being the best player of a generation, much less his draft. I'm not saying, like, you, you can take someone later and then end up being the best player in the draft, but, like, the point on Mick Abel is at the uh, 15th pick in the draft, like they're taking a home run swing. Like they're taking a swing on a guy who has a chance to be someone who, if you redrafted this draft in 10 years with is the automatic first pick, you know, like that's what they're going for. And I, I think for an organization that needs ACE pitchers, like needs that type of arm in their organization, like Spencer Howard's the only thing we have that's even close. Like, and he's not, you know, a true one, like Mick, for people, like, think about this. We talk about Spencer Howard and all that. Mick Abel's ceiling is higher than Spencer Howard's. Is that fair, Jack? I think it's I think it's fair, but I I think both have a legitimate I one. I love upside. Spencer. Yeah, I, I'm, Spencer Howard, I love. I'm not saying he can't be a one or whatever, but, like, just trying to point out to those people who are upset about the high school pitcher, I get it. I know there's a lot of risk, but, like, I'm trying to point out just how high Mick Abel's ceiling is. Like, a, a kid like this with this arm at this age, what they could theoretically be. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think I said this to you when I came in on Thursday. Um, and I just I just envision 
two years from now, we're watching MLB Network's Top 100 Prospect Countdown. And, like, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I get depressed every single time because I'm like, yep. wow, look at all these superstars. Yep. But, like, I, I could just see Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and, and Mick Abel's in the top. 25 and they're like oh he's a year away from being in the top like five um like i can i can already see abel being on the the top 100 countdown and that makes me very very excited and you know he kind of there's a chance that we could have like he he, it could be mckenzie gorish you know i think it if mckenzie like if mckenzie gore hadn't pitched in a, a high school season like there's a chance he would have been there at 15. Like the, like the Abel kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Like he, I think he could be a Mackenzie Gore-ish kind of prospect. So um, couldn't be more all in. And you know, you just mentioned Spencer Howard. Have I gone to bed each night thinking about <laughs> thinking about what a 30? I'd say a 31 year old Nola, uh, 34 year old Wheeler, a uh, 27 year old Spencer Howard. And like a twenty-two-year-old Mick Abel, like if there it, it is. I think, <laughs> I think, I think Jim Callis. I think Jim Callis. Callis said he thinks he's going to be up in twenty twenty-three, which is like really fast. fast for that'd be super fast, man. But but when you look at his stuff, you look at his makeup, you look at his command of all, like the fact that he he can already spot a two-one fastball in the outside corner. Now again, is, he's developed. He's further developed than you would think for a kid that age in that spot. Right, and he's just going to put on more weight, uh, given the projectability of his dad. Um, so, like, I think I, I don't think he's going to spend too much time in the minor leagues. Like, he he remind like he could be like Nola, and not as fast as Nola, but yeah. but but I'm saying like if he goes to Oregon State and you draft him in th- like in after his junior season, you're you're anticipating him to be in the big leagues in in a year, right? So like. I think he could be up by twenty by his age twenty one twenty two season. I mean, I, I just he has that kind of he has that kind of makeup. I think I don't think he has he's not like some big project that they have to fix. Like he just has to add strength and and work on that change up, and he he could be up here pretty quickly. All right, let's talk about my dude, my guy. As your you know, guy, I've been touting him up on the radio. No, to be fair. In actuality, I'm watching the MLB draft on Friday night, and which is good Friday, work. Was it which Thursday is good. Night or Friday it was Thursday. Thir- Thursday, Thursday night. Thursday night. And which is good work by you. I'm surprised yeah, you're watching oh, I was the. Locked in, and I'm actually texting Jack. I'm like, why is Cole Wilcox still on the board? I'm like, I'm in on it. I'm I'm locked in. Um, but Jack texts me back. Really want Casey Martin. I'm like, okay, sure, cool. Looked up Casey Martin. Like, oh yeah, I could I could be in on this. Boom! Ten minutes later, Casey Martin's a Philly. It was a very, very impressive call by Jack Fritz. But, but I get it. Like I'm in on Casey Martin, as you heard me say. Like after watching with uh, you know this kid's highlights, reading about him, I'm all in. I love the idea of a guy who was gonna be a first round pick until he had like a bad two months. Like I'm so in on that like that archetype of a guy because I just think that like there seems to be so much talent with this kid. It seems like. It seems like, again, as someone who clearly is novice-like with my MLB draft knowledge, it seems like one of the steals of the draft, Jack, from from everything I'm seeing in here. Well, you're not wrong. Um, I so so it wasn't even a James James. It wasn't even a bad two months, man. It was a bad like three weeks. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like he he. 
so I think entering into like the like he was just starting to heat up when the season uh, got canceled. Like I think his last game I watched it and he had I think he had four hits, right? So he was and at that point like he had like three hits two games before that. Like he was just starting to figure it out a little bit. And you know I I was watching some early season Casey Martin and the bat didn't look as fast and looked like he was kind of pressing and he was jumping at everything and. It kind of seems like he was one of those guys that was projected to be a top 15 pick. Um, before, like it, it, the first ever mock draft I saw, true story, um, in, I don't know, January, when I started doing some research, was Casey Martin, 15 to the Phillies. Wow. And, and, wow. And, yeah. 87. And, they got him at 87. Right. And I, I, think, I think he just, I think he was pressing a little bit. And... Um, by the time I saw him, by the time I watched him at the end of the season, the bat looked much faster. It looked like he kind of got that swagger back. Like Casey Martin is, is definitely a swagger guy. You know, like he, he plays with the chip on his shoulder and kind of gets the, like he, he kind of seems like the, the, uh, the straw that stirs the drink for that, that Arizona, uh, or the Arkansas Razorbacks team. So I, I just think that his confidence had been down, uh, early in the season. And then right when the season kind of ended, He's, he started to get it back up. But, yeah, the, the tools are loud. I mean, just quick, quick, quick hands. And the ball flies off the bat. And he's fast as anything. Like So fast. Like, it's – sometimes, you know, you'll you'll get told that people are fast. You're like, ah, oh, they don't look that fast. Like, you watch this kid run and you're like, oh, that dude is fast, man. He flies. Yeah. Listen <laughs> – he, he just he just looks like Kingery, like yeah, he just he has look, a lot of Kingery, a lot of like Kingery. same kind of same kind of launch, all that stuff. I mean, there's if, if you can see Pedroia, I mean, but you can see the same you can see Pedroia from Kingery as well. Um, so like a Pedroia, Kingery, Casey Martin, they all kind of remind me of each other. I mean, Martin Martin and Kingery just seem like such ball players um, that that I'm excited for him now. The obvious, the obvious concern here is the swing and miss stuff. I mean, he he swings and misses a lot, and just in watching him, just didn't do a great job of of um, of uh, laying off curveballs and and swinging over a lot of curveballs, a lot of sliders. But like, I'm of the mindset of just give talented hitters to Ochart and and let them figure it out. Um, and when you get a guy at 87, like Casey Martin, who was first team all SEC and every one of the SEC coaches like talks about what kind of a gamer he is, like you're taking that upside. And obviously the Phillies went under slot in their, in their last couple of picks, which is fine because like, I don't like get me, get me the legitimate talent and then, and then go under slot wherever you need to do to save money. Like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Like, coming out of this draft with Casey Martin and and Mick Abel for the money that they're going to cost is just great. Like, it's just it's just great. And, like, Casey Martin, I just, I love him. I think, I think he needs to get short. He, he might be, he might be what we thought Kingery was. Not from the standpoint that I think he's better than Kingery, but I think he has a better stand. I think he's a better chance of playing short, second, third, and center. Like his best position is probably third base. Yeah, it like, looked like at least from the highlights we saw, it seemed like third base was his most natural position. Yeah, and he's super small for it, which is whatever. But like, if he's small, but like, I mean, he plays it well. Cannon arm, like it works. 
Yeah, the, and that's what we're talking about. Like the tools. Like he's got a hose. He's fast as crap. He's got a ton of power. Uh, like and bat. he just yeah, very fast bat. Like very fast bat. It reminds me of Austin Beck from a couple of years ago. But I just I uh, I'm all in. I, I, I wish there was a minor league season because I wish we could kind of see what he was going to do up at Williamsport this year. Um, but it looks like that's not going to happen. But just the fact that they took the chance again, like the fact that they took the chance and, you know, they didn't want they didn't play it safe. Like I, I, I was watching the draft and it's like I, I see the Dodgers just getting steals all over the place. And it felt nice that the Phillies got some steals. They got some steals in McAble, and they got an absolute steal in in Casey Martin. So uh, good on you, Brian Barber. Yeah, what what a crazy thing having a, a professional, talented scouting director. What a I don't know, what a crazy thought. Well, <laughs> that was something that could work. Well, don't you think it's crazy that like we haven't seen one comment from Klemczak or McPhail? Like none. This it. Like, I, I Jack, I noticed that it has been very interesting that they and and you know what. Props to them for letting Barber shine in his moment, but like it has been all Brian Barber. It's been really it. Look, they. It seems like for the one of the first, like you know, that's my thing with any of this stuff, whether any sport, any business. Like, if you're in charge, hire smart people who you think are going to be very good at their jobs. Put them in those jobs and let them be good at it. Like, I think that is as, as good a. Uh, you know, um, uh, strategy is you can have to get the best out of employees and whatnot. Just like put smart people in good positions that you think they'll be successful in and let them succeed. And that's what they're doing with Brian Barber. So it's awesome. So what you're saying is let Brian Barber cook? Yeah. I mean, I like, can we just make Brian Barber the GM already? Do we need to wait or is that five years down the road? I don't know. How's that well, work? listen, I, I stated I stated at the beginning of the podcast, Brian Barber is never, is never allowed to leave. We're going to get Barb's on the show. Can we call him Barb's? Oh, I feel like we're on that level. I mean, I think so too. I think so I mean, too. I mean, I, I think I kind of feel like I'm his best friend. I, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like we're the reason he's here. I mean, yeah, we, well, we, I, we did no reason, no reason to kind of feel that way. That's just spitting facts. Like that's just James a factual statement. James, we, we pressured the Phillies into taking, like, remember it was like, oh, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, promote we'll from look within. within. Yeah. 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 And we said, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not going to happen. You morons. Can you just go get the right guy and make this whole thing work? Um, but yeah, uh, listen, if Matt Lensack and Andy McPhail want to do nothing for the rest of their tenure here and just Please. let Brian Barber. You're welcome to do this. Please. And let Brian Barber, the scouting department, the analytics department, and John Middleton sign the big players. Like, cool. Like, whatever whatever it takes, you whatever, know. Whatever it takes is well said. Um, <laughs> also, right. also, hold on, hold on. One final quick draft note. I mean. Well, I wanted to get your thought quickly with that sort of oh, no, 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 no. I know. I know. I got you. But but real Your quickly, yeah, we have whatever. to talk we we have to talk about Haim's sweater. Did you, did oh, you see? Dude, all right. So the fact <laughs> and for those who didn't actually watch it, and I thought it was really cool to see the Major League Baseball draft on ESPN in prime time being covered like, you know, obviously less people, but like covered like they cover the NFL draft. I thought it was really neat. Um Chaim Bloom's sweater wearing this Basically, it was a Red Sox cardigan. It was like a red cardigan sweater with the buttons and like the red on one side and the socks on the other. Let me tell you this, Jack. If I wore that sweater, I would get laughed off the television screen. I would look like an embarrassment to the world. And that's just how great Chaim Bloom is that somehow this man 
was able not even to pull it off. It looked amazing. It looked like he was bored in that sweater, Jack. Yeah, and he had all kinds of Red Sox uh, uh, famous like photos behind him. I know he had Martin Luther King behind him. It was like it was like oh, someone who actually is like, huh? I'm gonna be on television. Maybe I should make my my area look nice or you know be prepared to be on television unlike like some of these other people who are on tv and you're just like what are you doing like, where are you what's happening right now now i will say disappointing first draft from Haim. i mean disappointing you know nick york i think is fine but he's a third round pick and blaze jordan stinks like blaze jordan wow can't. i like this shots fired at Haim. yeah i mean listen if he wants to get fired in two years and come down Maybe here that's his plan you think about that? Maybe he's going to tank it there so he can come home. You know, bring him well, the good thing here. The good thing is the Red Sox fans won't care, right? <laughs> they're not. They're not passionate <laughs> they're, up there. They're not paying attention anyway. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do they care? They're basically the Rays. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we are both super, super excited about Abel and Martin. What about the other two picks? Um, you know, a, another pitcher and a, a guy who looks like he can hit some pretty damn far home runs but might not hit the ball that often uh, with the last two picks. What do you think about the last two guys? Uh, for as much as I am very much in on on Casey Martin and Nick Abel, I love Carson Ragsdale. I might be, <laughs> I might be the only person that loves Carson Ragsdale besides, like, his family, but I – I couldn't be more in on Carson Ragsdale. And you want to know why, James? I do. Is it because his name's Carson? No, but there could be a fight for quarterback one in, in Philadelphia. Um, but so uh, I guess he had Tommy John in 2019, and he's just getting back on the mound this Love year. Love that. Get it out of the way, baby. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, also went to the same high school as Nate Pearson. So maybe there's there's not a non-zero chance he could turn into Nate Pearson. Um, but, yeah, so he goes to, to South Florida. That team is terrible. Just a terrible baseball team. I think they were 6-11 and 11 this year when the season got shut down. But, but Carson Ragsdale's last start of the season came against an undefeated number one Florida Gators team in Gainesville. And what does Carson Ragsdale do? Four innings, 10 Ks, one walk, no runs. Well, unearned run. But one walk, 10 Ks, and four innings against the best team in the country. Like, that is, that's something. Like, that, like nothing. that's that's something. And I don't know, I don't know what his upside is from a, from a starter standpoint. I think he's eventually going to be a reliever. But if you go back and you read some of the stuff about when the Yankees drafted Dellen Batances... And Brian Barber was there for the Dellen Patances draft pick. There's a lot of similarities. And I watched the I watched his start against Florida. Um, it was really just his strikeouts against Florida. They didn't really I couldn't find the full game anywhere, so I was just able to see the strikeouts. I mean, for, like the slider is just it's a, I think it's a seventy grade start a seventy grade slider, and that's that's Insane. really. It's really, really good. It's really good. Um, Now, I think Mick Abel also has a 70-grade slider. He's 18, which is phenomenal. Uh, Love to see the Phillies. I like seeing the Phillies go all in on the slider because the slider, if you talk to any hitter, like, it's just, it's it's harder to hit than a curveball. And if you can really spin it hard, like, it's just, it just works better. But anyway, um, I love it. You know, he's a he's a guy that you can take a shot on. If he pitches the rest of the season, maybe he goes higher. Um, But I just think that, 
I don't think he's going to be a starter. I don't think he's good enough to be a starter, but I think he could definitely be a bullpen guy. He was already 95 as a starter. Move him to the bullpen, you maybe you can see 98 with that wipeout slider. So I mean, uh, I mean, Delam Del Matanzas light in the fourth round is an amazing pick. So let, fingers crossed. Yeah, and I just think that I think people – I think maybe this podcast will help them, but I think you should be excited about Carson Ragsdale. I mean, that's some legit, legit stuff. I mean, going into Florida and doing that against that team. Um, so, yeah. Now, a lot of people are very excited about uh, Baron Radcliffe. And, like, I think I think he could be I think he could be good. Um, he's another guy that that you just I mean, hand over. You o- want to talk about swing and miss, right? Right, right, right. Right. He bad like, 237 in the Cape. But it, it, <laughs> But he's another guy that you you give to Ochard and kind of say, hey, you know, it's it's worth the risk in the fifth round. Like it's not going to hurt you at all. Raw power, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, four seventy pop is dumb. Like that's just. I mean, like the highlights that went around. It's like, oh, this boy can hit. Like it's like back to the pitching thing. It felt like when you watch him, kind of like effortless power. Like the ball just kind of just explodes off the bat in a way you're not expecting. Yeah, yeah. He kind of. He kind of reminds me of Eric Thames a little bit, um, just like from a swing and miss standpoint, but also like dumb pop. So uh, he's another guy that you kind of just hand to Ochard and, and, and see if you can work on the swing and miss stuff. I, I think swing and miss is just hard to correct. You know, it, it has a like, that's not something you can kind of fix in a driveline uh, like place because it's, it's, it's really about what your eyes see. And it just comes down. You can't f- really fix people's eyes. So, uh, like, listen, it's it's a f- it's a fine upside projection pick. Uh, the the, the power is dumb. Uh, the swing and miss is real. But again, if if you just hand him to Ochart and and see if he can see if the driveline guys and the, all the hitting guys that they brought in can can get something out of him um, and work on the swing and miss. And I mean, there's 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 legitimate legitimate upside there. So uh, it feels like they took necessary risks all over the board like it feels like mick abel was a guy at 15 that's like listen this guy's a top 10 pick we're getting him at 15 we have to take that casey martin i mean just fell because of the swing and miss concerns um but was a projected first rounder before the season started we have to take that risk here uh, uh carson ragsdale another guy six eight like we'll we'll take a shot here on, on him being a, a a good reliever for us and then and then baron ratcliffe same kind of thing you know the the power is the power is legit the swing and miss is legit but it's the fifth round and you know maybe we can find our next ryan howard i don't know but he was a fifth round pick with the same kind of numbers coming out and at least georgia tech was way bigger than where ryan howard went so um yeah it's a it's a it's a, i think it's a necessary risk upside uh pick yeah look it seems like um it seems like it really like you said before but it seems like you know brian barber went in and and was really given the autonomy to draft the way he wanted to draft you know kind of build it the way he wanted to and i think the results are speaking for themselves obviously it's all crapshoot we'll see what happens down the road but um yeah i'm pretty excited so overall wrapping it all together you kind of just did your breakdown how would you like you were not big on grading or whatever but like in general like you would say you're you're pretty damn happy with this draft yeah yeah i'd give it a solid solid b plus a minus um awesome yeah yeah i mean i i actually i like last year's draft a lot too i think they've had back-to-back good drafts um and yeah, I think it's. I think it was just a good draft. I think they 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 took some necessary risk. Uh, I think April fifteen. Like I was I was thinking back to when I really started getting into draft stuff, and 
I remember the first time I saw Hazley, I was like, all right, I see what they see. You know, a bats and ball guy. I don't know where the pop comes from, um, but you hope he's a 280 to 300 hitter with 15 to, to 20 home runs. Like, it's a safe, it's a safe fine pick. Uh, Boehm, first time I saw him, impact bat. Don't know where he's going to play defensively, but I think the bat's going to be a difference maker. And that's kind of turned out to be that way. Um, Stott, first time I saw him, I was like, oh, just good at everything. Not great, you know, but just just all five tools are average to above average. But again, a safe player. Like, I watched Abel, and I was like, this is it. Like This is, this is, what, this is what you're looking for um, when you're looking for elite prep talent. Um, and I just, I, I wish there was minor league baseball this year. It's a real shame we're not going to get any, um, because I would love to see what, what, what Casey would have done up in Williamsport and what McAble would have done. But honestly, like, I think it could be good for Abel to kind of work in his own environment. Um, continue, like his fastball RPMs were already insane. He's been throwing to Adley Rutschman and Adley Rutschman's talking about like, yeah. I didn't know this kid, but I didn't know this kid was in high school. Pick? Yeah, he's a, he was the first overall pick last year, yeah, and thought, yeah. and he's talking about how special he is. Um, so honestly, if he spends this whole summer kind of uh, working with the cameras and getting the spin efficiency to where it needs to be, and working on a changeup, and not having to go to some small town and and not have the same resources he's used to, it might actually be good for his development. And he doesn't have to put a ton of wear and tear on his arm. Um, and it, it it could be good for for just developing his pitches more and more. So maybe it's a maybe it's a blessing in disguise. And maybe the Phillies coaches can get around these guys and have them working and not having to worry about all these game reps and you can kind of just start the game reps next year. So it could be, it could be a nice blessing in disguise. Shout out to Brian Barber. Right, you I just love, I, I just love that you're in, man. I think that I'm, that, in. that, that, I'm, I'm in, I'm watching these guys. It's crazy. This is exciting. It is crazy. It's, it's, it's fun stuff. You've worn off on me, Jack. <sighs> love when that happens. I, know. I mean, let's see. I'm jams on ESPN this year. It's exciting stuff. It is exciting stuff. I've um, met Kylie McDaniel. I know that guy. Kylie, Kylie. Ka- how are you? Kylie McDaniel, friend of the podcast. He came friend on the podcast the last year. Yeah, yeah. it's exciting. So it is exciting. We're, we're big time in the MLB draft, old Jack. Oh, for sure. For sure. We and we'll see, if Keith, <laughs> we'll see if Keith comes on next year. Yeah, I can't wait for him to predict something that's absolutely <laughs> not going to happen again. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Like, we should have him on to know that the opposite of what he says will happen, and it's like a way to kind of indicate what's going to happen. Yeah, that used, to, that used to be our role, but now we can pass that on to Keith. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, this is fun. Um, any other final thoughts for it, before we uh, uh, get out of here? Yeah, I think it's I think it's notable since the first time that uh, it's the first time we've been able to talk about it since last podcast. But um, it's notable that like the it got leaked by the MLPA, the MLBPA, that they don't have to um, like in the article or in the first letters to the MLBPA or whatever the negotiation. Like they don't have to get off the prorated thing, like. It was the whole negotiate in good faith thing is complete BS. Yep. Like MLB, Which is exactly what we thought from the beginning. By the way, <laughs> we called like, this to a day. Like Major League Baseball admitted that they didn't have to negotiate a good faith. Like the prorated thing is there, and hey, MFers, let's just play seventy six games or something at full one hundred percent prorated, 
and let's call it a day. Like let's let's just call it a day and let's get baseball back on the field uh, for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, just here's what I don't understand is the idea that if you're gonna just force a season, like it, it's something like somewhere between 13 and 20 million more per team. They say, and this is based on them not opening their books. Like, open your books. Like, I don't understand how you can expect sympathy from people, and especially the freaking players, when you won't actually prove to them that you're losing what you're saying you're losing. I mean, I don't know why anyone will believe you. I mean, one of you guys just came out and said it's not a profitable business when he bought the team for like $200 million and it's worth $1.2 billion or whatever it is now. It's just asinine. Um, but, I, you know, I, I can't even... I get so frustrated talking about it at this point, Jack, because I'm so angry at this whole situation. I'm so angry at everyone, but most far and away most angry at the owners. And it's just take a hit. Uh, just I don't understand why you wouldn't just spend that little bit extra to pay their prorated for 76 games instead of 50. If you're going to do 50 anyway, when you can get stuff back at 76, like use the opportunity to whatever, 76, 68, whatever it is, like, Make a deal instead of just forcing a season where you don't get expanded postseason. You don't get any help from the players in off-season revenue, this and that, mic'd up, all these different types of things that the players have offered. That all goes away. Make a deal, spend a little bit more, and you can actually get stuff back on your end, too. It just makes no sense to me. Well, let's end the podcast on a positive note. Uh, Bryce Harper said that if there's no baseball season, he'll play for the Eagles. I saw and that. And also, speaking of Bryce Harper, shout out to Bryce Harper getting oh, the yeah. phone number of every draftee and call. Like, that's some that's some leadership stuff right there, man. That's some face of the franchise stuff right there. I would just let li- listen first. First to say it, we're always the first on top of things, and let's get this out there right now. Player GM Bryce Harper. Yeah. Player, coach, and GM. Well, we got Gerard. We don't need it. But player, GM. I like this. I think it I makes sense. Him. Also, also, is there a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia? Oh, uh, I do think that Bryce Harper throws a better football than Carson Wentz. <laughs> and I would like to just see what it would look like. I think that is a perfect place to stop it. Uh, we'll be back next week because by then I think we will have some sort of answer in Major League Baseballs. I think they really are up against it in terms of getting something other than a shortened season in. So I'm sure we'll be back next week. Um, Jack, shout out to Brian Barber. Shout out to Barbs. It's, it's, shout it, out to Barbs. It's easy going to bed at night these days. Yeah. And we got to get Barbs on here. We got to get Ochart on here. We, got, we, we will bring some guests your way um, as we continue to sort this out and talk about the Major League Baseball draft and all that stuff. So um, thank you. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy out there, and uh, – Fingers, cross your fingers, cross your toes, cross it all that this weekend Major League Baseball can finally get out of their own way and salvage the the tiniest little shred of dignity at the end of this whole disaster. All right, talk to you guys next week. He's Fred Simpsons. We'll see you later. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 